there's only one snack that can make me feel like I'm having the true movie theater experience, and that's popcorn. When my mom and I hang in for a girl's night, we have to get our fix, and that's where Kelly's Killer Popcorn comes in. They're a small batch gourmet popcorn company, and believe me, one bite and you'll be hooked. Made in Austin, Texas, this family-owned business has tons of flavors. My mom loves their salted agave caramel, while I have a hard time picking between black pepper or dill pickle. Hmm, maybe I'll just mix the bags together. Oh, and when my dad and brother crash our girls' night, you know that spicy nacho popcorn is coming out. Every flavor is popped in 100% real butter and is whole grain and gluten-free. Which flavor will you be choosing? Head on over to kellyskillerpopcorn.com to indulge yourself in some scary good gourmet popcorn. And make sure to tag them on Instagram at kellyskillerpopcorn so that they can see what movie you're pairing with their flavors. That's kellyskillerpopcorn.com for American-made, small-batch, delicious popcorn. This is The Gala Show. I'm your reporter on the beat, Gala Avery. On this episode, you may know my guest as the best-selling author who has been credited with helping propel zombies into mainstream pop culture obsession. Yes, even I gifted his zombie survival guide to my father when it was first published. Besides teaching us how to protect ourselves from the imminent attack of the walking dead, he's written titles such as World War Z, The Harlem Hellfighters, and yes, you know the gamer in me had to bring it up, Minecraft the Island and its sequel Minecraft the Mountain. Or perhaps you know him as the son of director Mel Brooks and actress Anne Bancroft. But here on The Gala Show, I actually know him as the husband of Michelle Collis Brooks, Max Brooks. Hi, Max. It is good to be here, Gala. Thank you so much for coming on. So before we bring up the topic for today, I have a question for you. Sure. How did your writing on Minecraft come about? Did that have anything to do with your son, Henry? Yep, and that's going to be what we're going to talk about today. Oh, that's awesome then. Okay, well then I'm just going to go straight into it. So my guest gets to bring their topic to the mic, and Max has decided to talk about, I'm guessing, Minecraft and Henry because... Oh yeah. And now it's time for a commercial break. vegetarian, but that doesn't mean I can't enjoy a good spice rub. My favorite place to get them is Smoked Bros, a veteran-owned and operated business that sells premium handcrafted dry rubs, spice blends, and seasonings. Guys, you can even put it on your popcorn. My favorites are Honey Badger, because he doesn't give a bleep, and Jelly and Peanut Flavor Topping, because mm, 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 some things just taste better together. The website even has recipes, so go check out smokedbros.com to support a veteran-owned and operated business and fill your cabinet with delicious flavor. And we're back. So I'm going to put 30 minutes on the clock, and our time starts now. All right, we're going to start with something called the Prussian model of education, okay. which is how you went to school and I went to school, and people all over the world have been going to school <laughs> since the 1800s. Okay. Well, a long time ago, we had this thing called the Industrial Revolution, which basically meant you had to annihilate the, the local shoemaker and the local craftsman, <laughs> and you had, to, uh, you had to collectivize labor. Yeah. And so you had to get people uh, doing a part of a bigger job instead of one person mm -hmm. doing steps in the whole job. Yeah. So one person tightening a bolt. Yeah. 
And the other person adding the thing. Right, and then... down the assembly line. Yeah. And so because time literally was money because now you had an assembly line. So it had to go smoothly. Mm-hmm. And so the whole point was how to find the most efficient way to standardize production. Mm-hmm. There's a great, going back to movies. Yeah. There is a, a, a movie called Gods and Generals. Okay. And it's sort of the Confederate version of Gettysburg where somehow <laughs> we're supposed to have, I don't know, sympathy for <laughs> slaveholders. That's probably why I know Gettysburg and not the right. other one. Because <laughs> they're actually the good guys. Yeah. Uh, but this one's about the bad guys. Yeah. And it's a po- there's a scene in the very beginning. It's supposed to be like this sort of rousing moment where there's like a local gun shop and, you know, Uncle Cletus has just made a polished musket and he's polishing it. He's giving it to Vern. Who's going to go fight for some slave owner who would probably spit on him? Yeah. Uh, Now, the scene is supposed to engender, I think, I don't know, patriotism on the part of Mm neo-Confederates. But to me, it it told me a very simple message. You are doomed. Because in the week it took for Cletus to make this musket from scratch... Factories in the north are churning out. Yeah, they're churning out tens of thousands of muskets. And there actually is a story where an arms maker went to the War Department, took a hundred muskets, took them all apart, mixed them all up in a giant pile, Mm -hmm. and then reassembled them all. Wow! Proving that standardized parts were the way to go. Wow! But how do you how do you prepare a workforce for that? You have to standardize the education. Yeah. So it all began this movement to training you and me mm-hmm. and all the children of the world to learn how to solve problems one way, the only way, as fast as possible under the ticking clock. Wow. It wasn't about thinking or creativity. Or individuality no, or anything. No, 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 no. That was death. When you collectivize nation states and they have to compete against each other, your population has to standardize. Mm-hmm. And it worked. It I mean, I would say I think it did. Yeah, it worked really well. I mean, we, we did free the slaves. Yeah, we did. And and we got so good at the Prussian model of education, we out-Prussian the Prussians. Well, actually, it's interesting, though, because like, we did free the slaves, but there is standardized slavery, like in China, for example, where they are on that factory line. Right. So it's well, like, it well, we free way. our slaves, I guess. Oh, yeah. Well, what? Yeah. No. <laughs> no, our iPhones are cheap, and we love our sneakers. So I love the CCP. Oh, yay, genocide. Okay. <laughs> exactly. Go, China. Yeah. Hooray uh, for social justice. Exactly. I'm going to tweet about social justice on my phone made by Muslim slave labor. Exactly. So what happened was uh, it worked. Mm-hmm. You know, we out Prussian the Prussians. We actually beat the Germans in two world wars because yeah. we were better than them. Yeah. Later in peacetime, especially in the 1980s, when I was about your age, maybe a little younger, mm-hmm. our former World War II enemy, Japan, ate us for breakfast. Yeah, because of the uh, the revolution, their economy yeah. and everything. Yeah. They took the, the Prussian model of education, the Prussian model of, of work, of economics, and they could just do what we did faster and better mm-hmm. and they annihilated us so we thought oh we got to catch up yeah that's where you have like no child left behind standardized testing teaching to the test mm-hmm. yay except for one problem it doesn't work anymore because the industrial revolution is over yeah and now in order to survive your generation mm-hmm. and the the kids younger than yeah. you they have to scrap that model yeah. so now it's about innovation individual problem solving creativity right creativity uh fluidity because 
when I was a kid, back to the movies, uh, as a Gen Xer, the easy rider of my generation mm-hmm. was Reality Bites. <laughs> Yeah. And Ethan Hawke gives this wonderful whiny monologue about like, what am I supposed to do, man? Like work at a factory like my dad for 20 <laughs> years. And now it's like, no, yeah. you don't get to have that job anymore. Yeah. But that's the way it used to be. Yeah. Right. You did the, you did the Prussian model of education. And you did what you were told. You did what you were told and you did it well and you did it fast. Mm-hmm. And you memorize those facts and you spit them out on a piece of paper and bam, you get a good grade, you move up, you go to college, you get a degree, and then you get a job for 20, 30 years, and then you retire. Hooray. Yeah. Uh, The young people coming up today are going to have to change jobs and possibly careers constantly. Yeah. So you are going to have to learn to become the old entrepreneurs of my great-grandfather's generation. Flexible. Completely flexible. And you're going to have to deal with projects now right instead of instead of just being a cog in a machine Mm -hmm. the way work is now is that you're going to have to solve a problem from start to finish yeah and you're gonna have to figure it out your way you can't be like well this is the way to do it no you have to figure out your own way i think it's also interesting that you said like because it did work for japan but now where we see where japan is i'm so you know you're the first i'm literally i'm on two think tanks yeah the modern war institute at west point and the atlantic council in dc and when i we have these discussions you're the first person to bring oh, really? that up wow you're the first person to bring <laughs> the up declining the declining f- birth rate and also the influx of foreigners in japan and they're very well the term is onaji which means same and so they're very sane yeah and now that all the foreigners are coming in, it's like, well, how, what are you going to do? And they're working harder than, than ever, ever yeah. worked and they're getting nowhere. Yeah. And that could happen here if we're we, not careful. Yeah. Because they're not innovating. Yeah. So we have to have a whole new model of education and brain training for our kids. How yeah. do you teach them to become creative problem solvers? Yeah. There's a video game to do that. Minecraft. Yeah. Because ironically, this notion of of standardization and sameness. Mm-hmm. We didn't know this at the time, but it set us up to be replaced by AI. Yeah. So Ugh, I don't even, yeah. God, if we talk about AI, I'm going to start talking about how AI is evil. I tell everyone like you should not be using it. Like, I don't know why people touch it. Hasn't anyone seen any movie ever? But that's not, unfortunately that's not how it works. I know that's, that's what <clears throat> everyone tells me. And I just say, well, I'm not going to touch it. Right. But even, this is so weird, but even on dating apps, I have guys use chat GPT to talk to me. And I'm like, really? Yep. Can I just have a conversation with you, please? Well, it, it is, <laughs> but AI is set up not to be innovative. It's set up to to be formulaic yeah. and do better formula. Yeah, just to draw from what has been already previously done. Exactly. I think that was even like Xerox was like that at one point where they were Xeroxing um, architectural scans and they started finding that rooms were being replaced. And right. it was because it was only scanning a portion of it and then just copying and pasting and they had to fix that. Just do it, do it faster do and it better. Do it faster and better. And you see it, you know, with the writer's strike now. Yeah. Like AI could never do another Pulp Fiction. No. But it could do the Marvel movies. Those are oh, formulaic. Yeah. Probably already is doing the Marvel I'm movies. I'm sure they are. Yeah. I mean, it's completely formulaic. Yeah. Uh, but how do we teach kids to survive in a world of automation now? Yeah. Ironically, it's a video game. Yeah. When my son first started playing Minecraft... How old do you think he was? Five, maybe 10, maybe yeah. little, maybe eight or something. Yeah. Blew me away. Because I'm used to the video games of my generation, which actually mirrored the Prussian model of education. Yeah. There's only one way to eat them dots. 
or yeah or tetris it's like you have to fit yeah. the block in the hole and et cetera. yeah or even uh like call of duty you're given a yeah. certain amount of weapons certain amount of tactics yeah and certain amount of maps right certain amount of maps certain doors don't open yeah and that's just how you're and so there's a formula to winning games like call of duty and whoever wins it faster that's it yeah whereas minecraft wow i mean you still have hard goals mm-hmm. fixed goals like do not starve yeah but unless you play on like the easy mode, which I play on. Wait, yeah, I do not. Mode. I tell my son that was the easy poo poo diaper baby level. That's what I play on. Yeah, no, that is. I, I, I mean, I, I think a more effective means would be called the still living with your parents level. Yeah, I mean, for me in Minecraft, that's about it. Like, right. I'll be like with all my friends. I'm like, I'm just gonna like chill over here. Yeah, my son's like, well, you get stuff from inventory. I'm like, yeah, because you're still living at home with us. Yeah. We're the inventory. But eventually, you're gonna have to play on survival. Yeah, eventually. Where you're not. Where the mobs are coming at you in the dark. And- right, and they don't care about your feelings. No. They don't care about your authentic self. They don't care if you're at your chest, like looking around while like the doors open. No, and... <laughs> they do not care, which is a great, great lesson. Yeah. Because I think this is, I mean, this is why, unfortunately, emotionally, millennials are America's lost generation. Yeah. It's not their fault. Yeah. Not at all. They were, they were raised by my generation who said, well, you're just awesome. Yeah. And you just go be awesome. Yeah. And the world was like, I don't really care how awesome you are. Yeah. I mean, and we're seeing that like with millennials, because I might think just at the tail end of millennial, I think, and then Gen Z. Yeah. Z's starting to get it. Z's a consequence generation. Yeah. Because you have two, that's the way history goes, is you have have a a revolution generation, like the people who grew up in the 50s. Yeah. Right? Times were good, and they were good. Yeah. And then the generation who grew up in the 70s, and mm-hmm. it was like, oh, these are the consequences of the 50s. Yeah, that's interesting. I never thought about Gen Z as a consequence generation. Oh, 100%. All the things that we thought were going to change the world in the 90s when the millennials were growing up mm-hmm. have changed the world, Yeah, not necessarily for the better, and the consequences borne by Gen Z. Yeah, because I always think about it because my, so I'm 27 and my younger brother's 25, but the way that I differentiate him and I is always 9-11. Which right. is really because I'm old enough to remember life before 9-11 and he is not. Yeah. And so that's the big divide between us. It's like I just remember like what it was like not to be patted down at the airport and he doesn't. Right. I remember what it was like not to have my security. Like I had security and I didn't have people looking and stuff. I was like really little though. But and he doesn't. Like he has no concept of that. No. And he's grown up with Trump and COVID. Yeah. January 6th. Yeah. He's grown up in this horrible, horrible culture uh, of accusations and tribalism and everything you say is going to be used against you. Exactly. And, you know, I say, as an old person, I always think like, well, listen, if, if this is the new world and your generation was happy, I'd be like, fine, I'll, you know, I can go to I'll hell live as an in old it. man. Yeah. yeah. But the amount of anxiety and suicide. Yeah. And you have a child to worry and about. And I, I have a young man, an 18 year old man going yeah. out into this world. And my job as a parent, job number one is yeah. to teach him how to take care of himself because I'm going to die before him. Hopefully that's the order, the natural order of things. And that's how it should go. And that's rule number one of parenting is not to be your kid's best friend and make them happy. Literally you're going to die and you're going to leave them alone and you better teach them how to take care of themselves. Yeah. So Minecraft, how did it do that? So Minecraft literally trains your brain how to be a creative individual problem solver. Like don't starve. Yeah. Don't starve. Build your own house, your shelter. You have to do it your way. So think about it. If you don't starve, you can farm or fish or hunt or forage. Yeah. You can do it your way. 
using the tools that you like mm-hmm. in a method that is individual. It's, it's actually funny that you say that because I'm vegetarian in real life. When I play Minecraft and I play on the mode where I play vegetarian. Right. Like and you I, can. And you can. And you're allowed to. And you can go out and you can farm. And you can either do it where like you set up that whole aqueduct thing and like your fertilizer. Right. Or you can just do it really slow and... Which is what I did in the book, where yeah. my character is like, I can't. Now I'm not vegetarian. Yeah. I love a good steak, yeah. but my character just cannot kill those chickens anymore. Yeah. So in the in the island, yeah. I would say Jack Black, because he read the audio. <laughs> Jack Black's like, I just can't do it anymore. But Jack Black also learns the importance of having to compromise an ideal in order to save it. You don't want to yeah. be so rigid that you do more harm than good. Exactly. And I think that's an important thing in real life. Oh my God, is it important? Yeah. The ideologues always get us killed. Yeah. So that was book one. Yeah. And then the last lesson, after he's subdued this island that he's on, yeah. he realizes my final life lesson is I can't grow anymore from a comfort zone. I got to leave it. You got to leave the island. Leaves the island. Book two meets the other. Yeah. The other castaway learns about friendship. Which is another important thing because in this digital age, we are seeing more loneliness than ever. Oh my God. And I see it in my kids' generation. You know, when I was a kid, the misfits... Uh, we had to find each other because there was nothing to oh, do. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's how you we went to the video store. You went to the comic book shop. That's right. why we have that stereotypical comic book guy in The Simpsons is because everyone had one of those. And another person I know puts it really well that that person was a shepherd. Right. That that was the person that looked at you and said, hey, you're picking that movie off the shelf. Right. Let me show you something else that you might really like. Right. And we're kind of lost that. We've. Lo- I mean, I look at the, the kids that my son goes to school with. They're, the misfits, they're at home. They're on their phone. Yeah. And and they the world has the internet so they don't drive, they don't get together. It's really sad. It's re- and, and if they were happy, I'd be like, "Hey, you know what? What do I know? I'm a dinosaur." But these kids are clearly miserable. Yeah. I mean, I saw it. Uh, I go to this like boba shop that employs high school students only. Um, and maybe sometimes a college student just to like kind of run them and make sure it's a first job incubator, basically, right. which kind of does what you're saying. Like, this is how you earn money. This is how you put your paycheck right. in the bank. And this is your first job. And I remember when COVID was happening, none of them wanted to talk to anyone. They mm-hmm. had no social skills. Like this job literally was teaching them social skills. They couldn't make eye contact. Uh, a lot of them didn't even want to take their masks off because they were afraid to like show what they looked like. Yeah. They didn't want to smile at people. Oh. It was really sad. And now, now that it's been like long enough, they've gotten back into oh, it. Like so they have important. friends and it's so important to me. And I mean, I grew up as the weird kid. Uh, I didn't have many friends, to be honest. I don't really have that many friends now, and that's fine. I have like my my really close friends. Me too. But I was able to find my tribe and my weirdos. Right, and you need that. I mean, there's always going to be the popular kids. As as yeah. my my dear high school friend Henry Young, who is still one of my closest friends, he used to call him the trendy fucks. Yeah. I don't know if you can say that on the internet. You can say it. Okay. Yeah. Well, the trendy fucks will always find each other. They still do that. <laughs> they sure do. But the outcasts and the misfits, like me, we need artificial tools to find one another yeah and that's why book two was so important for me was friendship and then book three which is coming out in october it is the natural progression because summer and guy two characters they find a village oh great so they've gone even further and they learn how to be citizens in a community Wow. Which is really important That's now. really important because also it's like once you found your friend, it's like, okay, it's great. But then you have to, I don't want to say learn how to behave in a structure, yeah. but you have to learn like what's like right and acceptable yeah. and what's wrong. Like you can't, you can do things in your home that you should not do out in public. I, I think the, one of the greatest American moral philosophers was the two live crew. Yeah. Which in their song said, what I do in my house, you might not do in your house, but yeah. what I do in my house is my business, which is great. That's a private <laughs> space. 
but there's a public space. We got to go out and we have to live in a society and we have to conduct ourselves as we would want to be treated. And there are rules and there are laws and we need to learn them and figure out why they're there. And if we're lucky enough to live in a democracy, why do we have it? Why do we vote? Why is voting important? Exactly. Why is my voice important? Right. And why is it important for other people to have voices? And how do we agree and disagree and figure out what the collective rules should be, the the, the club rules we all agree to yeah, join? and the consequences right. of not following those rules. And also, I mean, in Minecraft, like you have people that grieve <clears throat> on public servers. Like that is, as a kid, that's one of the worst things to ever have happen to you the first time that someone griefs like your building in your village. I remember oh. my brother had that happen to him and it was just like tears. <laughs> we, we were really little. We were playing Minecraft. I'm sure I think my brother was probably the age of your son. Yeah. So it's like when that first thing happens and then oh. you rebuild and you grow from it. Yes. Well, we, and we have that. We have Summer and Guy, they they learn the rules of the village mm-hmm. and we talk about crime and punishment because the golems are the police. Yeah. And it's sort of like, oh, wow. Okay. There actually are laws yeah. and they're there for a reason. And so at one point, Summer and Guy get in a huge argument about zombies coming and picking off the villagers. Mm-hmm. And Guy wants to build a wall around the village. And she's like, but you're taking away their freedom. And he's like, yeah, but I'm saving them. I'm doing a good thing. Wow, that's a good message. And she's like, yeah, but you're not their king. And he's like, but I'm a good king. And she says, a good king is still a bad idea. Because wow. they don't get to vote. And she, he's like, how do they vote? I can't even understand them. And I go, <laughs> And she says, well, we have to build doors in the walls so they can vote with their feet. Wow. And if, if at nighttime they want to come in and be safe, great. And if they want to be out there and risk it, that's their choice. That's their choice. How Do you find that it's mostly like, I would say, I don't want to say children because maybe it is children, but would you find that it's mostly like children or adults that are reading this? Oh, it's so much. I got to tell you, I'm so sorry to say goodbye to the Minecraft world because it's so much nicer than living in adult book world. Yeah. Because it's, it's kids. It's little yeah. kids. Thank you, Mr. Brooks. I love your book. It's parents. I have to say the absolute best compliments I've ever gotten, better than any award you could ever give me, is when parents write to me and say, my child has never read a book in his life. Wow. He picked up your book, he read it, and now he's reading everything in the house. Wow. Where do you go from there? That's a gift. That's it. You can't go in, especially for me, a dyslexic kid who struggled in school. I barely made it out of school. To get that? To get that from a parent saying your book was what caused my child to read and knowing that that child will grow into an adult that found morals inside your book or even just happiness right or just a love of something a passion that's the thing about ai by the way that i'm worried about is that it's going to remove passion from people because they're not going to try to do things that's my own personal of course fear is like why do art when an ai can do it for me why write poetry why write a book why do this it's also well also the ai will it will do comfort art yeah right an ai can't do crazy passion art like i said it can't do a pulp fiction yeah it can't like we're watching the show the bear where you don't know what's going to happen next you don't know what they're going to say that show is so stressful yeah it's stressful (laughs) but it's passionate and you you talk about it the next day ai can never do that but most tv shows are procedural formulaic comfort shows yeah that people kind of want to be on their phone and zoom you know zone out zone out and not pay attention making dinner because they know by act three you know mark Harmon's going to solve the crime yeah and that can be completely automated. Yeah. Should it? I don't think so. Yeah. I think that should always be people because you because every now and then a human writer will throw in a zinger and maybe, maybe, maybe the showrunner will have the guts to say, you know what? I'm going to throw it in there and, and fight for that with the network. Yeah. And that's never going to happen with AI. And that's also what makes stories memorable. I'm sure like right. you have stuff that you remember. I mean... 
I would argue because like I love Star Trek. I'm a huge Trekkie. I grew up watching Star Trek. For me, it like was my church kind of in a weird way. Me too. My parents, like they decided like this is how we're going to teach you morals. We're going to teach you through right. Star Trek because they're all kind of Shakespearean stories that like build upon each other. And some ways that it can be kind of formulaic or repetitive and right, of course. But uh, every now and then, like there are things that I remember, like Star Trek lines that just like pop into my head, and I'm like, okay, that's like a way to live my life. And yeah. Some writer wrote that. Some writer thought up the line of Q saying to Data, "For what it's worth, you're a better human than I ever was." Yeah. Wow, I can go and like tear up a right? little bit. Um, Me I too. Have goosebumps. Like my favorite episode, one of my favorite episodes is Death Wish and Voyager uh, with Garrett Graham. And it's like, oh, we've all been the scarecrow. And right. I think about that every time that like stuff is tough. It's like, I am you, you are me. We've all been in that place or we are all going to be in that place. And that's something that I don't think AI can do. No, and no AI can CGI uh, Janeway. The look on her face when she knows that she has to make the horrible decision to kill Tuvix. Oh my God, the Tuvix. I'm so glad you brought that up because the Tuvix episode. Oh my Which, God. Which, by the way, he's my neighbor. He's right down no the block. No way, Tuvix really? is like a block over. I see him every morning walking the oh dog. Oh my God. I'm like, hey Tom, how's it going? <laughs> uh, my son is taking an ethics class yeah. right now. And I'm like, we're going to watch the Tuvix. Because he's literally wrestling wow. with the moral question of, do you sacrifice small, a small number of people to save a large number? Yeah. The needs of the many versus the needs of the few. That's the Tuvix episode. That is the Tuvix episode. And she has to do it because, and not only does she choose to do it because it's like the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few, but also because her like deep personal relationship with Tuvok. And it's always that question, like, would you save one person, you know, and kill a hundred people you don't? That's a huge moral question. That's a huge moral question. And it's like, we find it through that. I think also there's like some other episodes. I'm just going to say them. It's like the the episode, like with the doctor, when it's like, he's written that hollow novel in Voyager. It's like that. I like that intellectual rights. Like, cause he's a computer and he wrote this thing. It's like, is he technically AI? I don't know. Uh, But there's like a lot of, I don't know. There's a lot of really good moral conundrums in Star Trek. Oh my God. Yeah. That episode of deep space nine, when core comes back Yeah. and fighting the dominion and he's an old man and everyone's laughing at him. And then he, goes out in a blaze of glory yeah. and the Klingons are all singing his praises you're just like oh my god oh my god I want to go watch Star Trek now I'm gonna go home it's it's literally on in my house like 24 7 like we Me just too. leave it running at this point I'm going back I'm actually been watching Enterprise again you know what I love Enterprise and we my parents and I were talking about like why Enterprise did not hit properly like when it first came out and it's because it premiered right around 9-11 right and it had so much of the guns because yeah. they'd have the guns instead of the phasers because it's pre- I love Enterprise. I think it's brilliant. Yeah, I mean, I love that moment where that's the thing about AI is AI could never animate the actor who plays Dr. Phlox. Oh my God. And when he's saying, you know, because he's happy and jolly, but there's a moment when he goes dark and he goes, I was a medic in the Denobulan infantry. And yeah. He talks about war. Or like when he talks about how he and his son have ideological differences and how they're no longer connected and he has to care for like the man that his son is like racist against. Yeah. It's really a deep thing. And I don't know. I, that's why I love science fiction, though, is because you're able to find what's happening in your own life in a completely removed way. That's what I try to do with all my writing. Yeah. And whether it's zombies, Bigfoot, Minecraft, uh, I'm always trying to give someone a psychological condom so yeah. it's not so raw. It's not Oliver Stone hitting you over the head. Yeah, it's Back into like- the left. <laughs> it's just, okay, if you want to just see this as a zombie story, great. But if you want to see this as... A metaphor for how real nation states would react in a global crisis, Yeah, you can go the next level of World War Z. Yeah, exactly. And you can see it surface or you can see it deeper. Right. So with the Minecraft books, 
Henry was he was your conduit into the world, and you yeah. saw Minecraft through him. Does he still play? No, now, uh, no. <laughs> oh God, now uh, he doesn't play much video games. But I think he uh, has graduated to possibly Grand Theft Auto. Oh, okay. So he's in that age. Well, but that's also the age where he knows, like we laugh about it because like I'll walk by him and he's playing. He goes, hey dad, what do you think I'm learning from this? So when my brother was in high school, he went to Cape boarding school and the Grand Theft Auto game had just come out, like the newest one at the time. And I remember it's like everyone can play Grand Theft Auto differently. I guess it's, it's a little bit more railsy than like people think. Like, I think you are on like a rail. Like you can't just go off. No, no, no. It's not a game where you learn anything. No, you definitely don't learn anything. But my brother said that there were kids in his dorm that would buy the game and then would just go to the strip club and would just put the stripper on the screen. And they would just be in the dark with the stripper on the oh screen. God. I was like, I was like, that is so gross. Like someone needs to turn that off for them. Well, I got I got messed up because, um, so my son is. A huge Pet Shop Boys fan. We went to the oh, concert. Oh, I love the Pet yeah. Shop Boys. He loves them. He's really into it. Turns out our friend Alan Yentob, used to work for the BBC, is doing a Pet Shop Boys documentary. Oh. So just as I'm trying to dissuade my son from playing GTA, we discover that when you carjack someone, you can play Pet Shop Boys. <laughs> and so our friend Alan is like, "Oh, Henry, I would love to have you in my documentary playing Grand Theft Auto with the Pet Shop Boys." Oh my. And I'm like, "Oh God damn it." That's not going to dissuade him. That's only going to encourage him, and then he's just going to keep on doing it. Well, that at, at this point, he's GTA is his reward for doing other things. Yes, I mean Charles Bronson, the musical. So. Oh my god, I loved that one. Michelle told me about that. He's an amazing kid. He wrote a whole musical, just sixteen songs by himself. He did the lyrics, but did he also do like the music? Yeah. Wow. He, he does what, what my dad does. Yeah. Is he has the music in his head. So he, it's like genetic. He knows exactly how the music will sound. He'll sit down with his piano teacher and the two of them will help arrange it on how will it sound on the piano. Same way my dad did with all his music. Well, I can't imagine even having that gift. Like that is like so far removed from how my brain works that I can't even imagine just like, I don't know if, you, if one was religious, I would say it would be like God is like in your head like it's entering you and like the holy spirit is basically overwhelming you to well give and that's you a gift. that's the thing that we have to that i'm always reinforcing with him is like you've got you literally have like a god-given talent didn't come from me yeah. i'm not that way yeah it, but it's still a job yeah and you still need the discipline you got to sit down every day you that's gotta... the important thing discipline because you can have as much passion as much potential but if you don't exercise that potential it goes nowhere no no it is a job and yeah. you've got to do the job my mentor, Alan Alda, taught me that. Mm -hmm. He said, the difference between a writer and a dilettante is the rewriting. Yeah. He said, a dilettante can sit down and write a whole book, passion, excitement. Oh my God, look at me, I'm writing. But the professional writer is the one who says, okay, it's time to edit. Yeah, what my dad always says is writing is rewriting. Yes, exactly. exactly. How do you think that like with this younger generation of like your son, because everything moves so fast now, like TikTok, Instagram reels, YouTube shorts, everything is like short form. How do you think that's affecting them with this discipline? Like, do you think they're just easier to drop things quickly? Like if it doesn't work out? I think it's a lot harder. Obviously, obviously it's a lot harder. But then again, it might weed out the dilettantes. That's true. In a way, we might be going back to the days of my dad. 
Yeah. Because when my dad wrote for the show of shows in the 1950s, nobody went into show business. No. There was, there was no self-respecting wasp it's a from circus. Minnesota. It's a circus. <laughs> it was a circus. It was, cr- I mean, the, in, I don't know if you ever saw the show 30 Rock. Yeah. <laughs> There's a great line where Tim Conway comes back mm-hmm. and he's touring 30 Rock and he looks in the writer's room and he goes, ah, we used to call this the Jew room. Oh my God. Because it was the undesirable thing to go do. Right. Jews did that. Yeah. Like a good, nice Gentile who got a college degree from Harvard would never go into show yeah. business. That's not a real job. It's so funny because my dad, um, like when you were talking earlier about the the schooling and everything, how you said like get rid of the shoemakers and stuff. And my dad always says like, if I was a shoemaker, Gala would be a shoemaker as well. Right. If I made barrels... If I was a cooper, yep. Gala would be a cooper as well. And so that's why I'm in showbiz. Right. <laughs> my dad did it. And so it just like flowed right into me. And I guess that's kind of what's happening with your son. I think so. And I think possibly the days of the easy money of show business are over. Oh, for I think for sure. Yeah. You really have to work for your, dance for your pennies. Oh, 100%. Yeah. But that might in some way increase the amount of talent because then the, like some of the people I've worked with mm-hmm. in this business who really have no business being here and we're in it for the money and the glitz yeah. and all that stuff, they may go away. Yeah. And what may be left are the guys like and girls from the show of shows. Yeah. Who are in it because they can't do anything else. No, that's literally, I have no plan B. I got a degree, but I have no plan B. I can't imagine myself ever using a Harvard psychology degree. Yeah, you love what you do and you can't not do it. Exactly. I I think I might die if I didn't, like if I could not put pen to paper, I think I might die. Like, what's the point of living? You you have to do this. It's when my son said, I want to do this. And, you know, the school tried to get in his way many times. Wow. Like, oh, this isn't academic enough. You also have to write a 15-page research paper. They did everything to cockblock this kid. Wow. And he's like, I want this. And he just kept fighting and fighting and Perseverance. fighting. Perseverance. Which, yeah, which means that it was a great show because it was a show that he had to do. Wow. And, you know, a sh- like something like that is probably never going to be mainstream. Oh. oh, 30 minutes on the clock. You can finish your sentence. Oh. A show like Charles Bronson, More Than a Vigilante, probably will not go mainstream. <laughs> I mean, I hope it does. I hope it does too. But I guarantee you, if it ever goes out in the big wide world, it's going to find an audience. Yeah. And that audience will be me for sure. So that's all the time that we have for today. Max, is there any final thought that you'd like to leave with the audience? Yeah, if you've got a kid with a learning issue, find out what they're into and meet them where they are and don't try to get them to read books that you think are great. Find a subject matter that they like and find a book for it. And that's how you get them into reading. That's great. That's it for today. Thank you so much, Max, for coming onto the show. You can keep up with Max's latest releases on his website, maxbrooks.com. I'm Gala Avery, and this has been The Gala Show. The Gala Show is brought to you by Insertomatic. This episode was executive produced by Roger Avery and produced by Gala Avery. Music composed by Andy Milburn. As always, I'm your host, Gala Avery. Copyright 2023, all rights reserved.
Despite me sharing the same last name with this charity, I don't have any affiliation with it, besides the fact that the issue is very near and dear to my heart. Did you know that in the United States, 2.7 million children currently have a parent in prison, and it's estimated that 10 million children have experienced parental incarceration at some point in their lives? I was one of these kids, and as an adult, I am really grateful to be able to give back to Project Avery. Their mission is to build leadership from within by supporting community through programs such as mentoring and outdoor education, and also to remove the stigma surrounding having a parent that's incarcerated. You don't have to feel alone. If you know a kid who could use these resources or would like to donate money or time to the charity, please go to Project Avery, that's A-V-A-R-Y dot org, to check out what this amazing charity is all about. Again, that's projectavery.org. Thank you guys from the bottom of my heart.